as we go through Galatians, it's, you know, it's a considerable time between the times that we look at it, so we're going to do a little recap. Uh, we'll uh, pray, I'll have you be seated, then we'll start. <coughs> Heavenly Father, it is good to sing these songs and to hear these young families sing out so boldly. God, you encourage my heart. God, you encourage all of us with your word. The fact that you show protection in your love and protection in your law. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll guide us as we look. God, please bless my voice and my mind that I'll stay straight. God, that uh, your word will be clear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. When last we looked at chapter 3, we had got through, I think, verse 10. It may not have been a very good place to stop uh, looking at it now, but I'm just taking bites as I see, see a good, what I think is a good place. In chapter 3, uh, Paul poses these questions. He's making an argument. We pretty much all have come to the understanding his point, his goal, is to protect these churches in the region of Galatia. There's more than one church. They're not numbered in this book, but there's more than one. It's not a city. He's protecting them because people have come in and told them that they must add Old Testament statutes and regulations and ceremonies to their faith if they want to be a true Christian. In the scriptures that we look at, that we've been looking at, Paul summarizes it, he pauses it all together. He calls it the circumcision. Uh, that's what he calls it. He says the way of circumcision is, if you add that, you're going back to the Old Testament. In chapter 2, we see in, uh, I mean, yeah, chapter 3, I'm sorry. In chapter 2, Somebody might, this is common with us, will say, let me ask you this. Well, that's exactly what Paul says. He says, let me ask you one thing. And then he proceeds to ask them five things. He asks them five questions. In verse 2 he says, the Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit by law, by Old Testament regulations, by Old Testament statutes? Or did you receive the Spirit by faith? Rhetorical question. We know it's by faith. He says in verse 3, he says, You began your Christian walk in the Spirit. The Spirit came to you, convicted you, showed you truth. He said, You began that way. Now are you going to just drop the Spirit, the way of the Spirit, and finish with your flesh? He says, can you finish that way? Again, it's, it's a no-brainer. He says, are you really that foolish? Can these things be accomplished by the flesh? No. In verse 4, he said, these trials and these hardships of persecution that you've been through, is that all for nothing? 
has God allowed these things in your life, this growth, this far in your spiritual life? Because it may have been a period of many months, maybe even years, since they had been Christians. He says, is that just for nothing? Five questions to make one point. The visible works of the Spirit, done by keeping laws and ceremonies, etc. He said, was that done through the visible things that you see, the miracles you've seen, the healings you've seen, the changes in people's lives? He says, did you offer sacrifices and keep feast days and things like that in order for that to be a reality in your life? These are things that Paul is asking these, these people in this letter. He said, or was it through preaching and discipleship and worship? We know it was. He's telling them that faith works and works won't work. In verse 6, he brings up the example of Abraham. We think this is at least one of the earliest letters of Paul, his epistles, maybe the earliest. All through Paul's epistles. He talks especially in uh, Romans. Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. He says, Abraham had to have faith too. And this was given him by God. He didn't receive his salvation. His justification, which is the whole point, justification made right in God's sight. Abraham was made justified by a gift of God. He gave him faith. He exercised his faith. God counted it to him as righteousness. He Stamped him as approved. It actually seems like more of a rebuke of the Judaizers. Because what, what did the Galatians care about Abraham? They had to be told about Abraham. It's more of a rebuke of the Judaizers than for the Gentiles. And in verses 7 and 9, 7 through 9, he says, If they're telling you, or they're putting forth, they're advertising that you need to be Circumcised, You need to join the circumcised group. In order to be a son of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham. He said, that's not true. He said, the true, Abraham was a type, a figure. He was our example, but people who are spiritually believers, who are spiritually made right through the works of the Holy Spirit, they're the true descendants of Abraham. So tonight, I stand here and I'm going to try to preach another man's sermon. I'm even going to use his scripture references. They get, we all get our topic, we get our doctrine, we get our script, backup scriptures. So that's what we're going to do because that's what Paul has done. It's amazing that we, I will stand here thousands of years later and... It's like you're preaching on top of a sermon. It's exactly what Paul had done, though. Paul, what was Paul's Bible? The Old Testament. That's all he had, and he was expert. So that's what he had. That's what he had. I will read uh, these, these verses. We're only going to look at the verses 11 through 14. That's my plan anyway. The title <clears throat> of the first point... No, the title of the, the whole lesson is, it's, not, it's the good news, not the new news. 
And point one is you won't see the positive until you understand the negative. Let's look. He says in verse 11. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For, we would say because, the righteous shall live by faith. In the first part of the verse he says, this is what won't work. That's the negative. You won't see the positive until you understand the negative. Remember, uh, in verse 10, Paul quoted from Deuteronomy to illustrate how Israel had never kept the law. Remember that story? Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. On one side, they would shout the commandment and the curse associated with breaking it, and the other side would say, Amen, we'll take that deal. Israel had never in any had never kept that. They always failed at keeping God's law. They always did. They they couldn't keep it in any form. And no person could. He is portraying how it cannot be done. That's the negative. The second part of the verse is the positive. Now Paul reaches back into his Old Testament Bible to Habakkuk and quotes the last part of verse Four in chapter 2. In that setting, in that context, Habakkuk was uh, receiving prophecy from God that uh, Judah would be, was going to be punished by the Chaldeans, I believe it were. And Habakkuk said, would you, would you use a nation or people more vile than your people to punish you? He was... Uh, kind of talking back to God like, uh, like Job did. But in that verse, we see just exactly what we see here in verse 11. He's, Paul said, no one, nope, that's the negative, no one is justified by, before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. God told that to Habakkuk centuries before. And uh, he said, the just the justified, the righteous, they shall live, they shall be saved uh, right now, yes, but also they will persevere. This will be their way of life. You, you will know this person. Paul's short list, saved versus lost, righteous versus, versus condemned, is repeated throughout Scripture. We hear uh, Jew and Gentile. We hear believing and unbelieving. We hear repentant and rebellious. We hear proud and humble, which is exactly what he was talking about in Habakkuk. We hear slaves versus free. We hear washed versus unwashed. Sheep and goats, on and on. Law and faith, works and grace. God assured Habakkuk that he alone could see men's hearts. Whether they were proud or rebellious, God said the proud man will fall. Uh, he told him that he knew who was trusting in him in genuine faith. Now Habakkuk may not have seen the analogy of Jesus, the object of ultimate faith. But he did, as a result of his rebuke, he did trust God and changed his complaints. Habakkuk had, I think, three complaints in that book. Uh, they're listed. God, he came to God and said, I have this complaint, I have this complaint. By chapter 3, he had changed his tune and he was praising God. I imagine Paul 
saw some of his former self in both Habakkuk and the Galatians. Obviously, his heart was broken to know that his churches were toying with the same mistakes that he had been saved out of. This, this was Paul's lifestyle. To summarize, Paul is saying that even in its infancy, when commandments and rituals were practiced with good intentions, God's people were justified in his sight. Remember that phrase, in his sight, by faith. Not by the sacrifices and rituals of Judaism. They started out good. It didn't take long for them to go astray, though. Number two, verse 12. Law and faith cancel out each other. Let's look at that verse. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. He, we might say the law has nothing to do with faith. The law has nothing in common with the faith. He says, it's, he says these things are opposed to one another. You, you can't make them go together. To make his point stronger, Paul again refers to Scripture. He goes back to Leviticus chapter 18. Let's just read that right quick since we got time. Leviticus chapter 18, the last part of verse 5. I'll, uh, I'll start in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. You shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. Don't do like that in the past. Don't do like in the future. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. And here it comes. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. <coughs> Israel actually demonstrated this. Now, a minute ago, I said Israel done a bad job. That's true. They did, however, have little short spurts of obedience. When they were trying to obey God, they had a couple good kings that led them right, and God blessed them. The times were sporadic and short-lived, but material and temporal blessings as well as national prosperity were seen. I'm thinking of 1 Kings chapter 4 uh, during Solomon's reign. God blessed the kingdom at that time. It didn't last. During Josiah's reign, he uh, instituted reforms. He said, bring the book out and read it. Uh, these were good times. Again, God blessed their obedience, and it didn't save any souls from hell. But God always blessed their temporary obedience with temporary gifts and prosperity. However, eternal and complete salvation require, requires perfect obedience. And nobody has ever come close to that except Jesus. That's Paul's point. The one he talks about in verse 12 does not exist. The one that keeps that law. If one could live by the law, then faith would be useless and dead. Also, Jesus 
our Savior. The object of saving faith would have no value at all. It's either faith or works, not both. Number three, we're going pretty fast. Christ came, no, Christ became our substitute and took the curse that we deserve. Let me read this in verse 13 if I can find Galatians again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Why are we cursed? Because we're in Adam. We are, when we're born, we're in Adam. We fell with Adam. Adam sinned. We had no choice but to sin. If Adam had not sinned, I would have sinned. That's why we're under a curse. If the, old, if the Galatians returned to Old Testament ways or added any ritual or ceremony to faith in Jesus and His work, it would be the same as rejecting Jesus altogether. The last two verses we just read about the positive and the negative and about the just living by faith are clear about that. You see, the same principle that says if you break any part of the law, you have broken all the law. That same, we see that in James chapter 2, verse 10. That same principle applies to trusting in Jesus. It's all or nothing. Law or grace. It can't be both in any part or fraction. You, it just won't go together. Again, Paul supports this doctrine from the Old Testament. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. This is where the curse comes up. A little explanation might be in order here. I'll begin 22. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he has put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. I checked with Matthew Henry, and he says that the word translated cursed here refers to the worst possible form of being disgraced. Meaning that actually this law from Deuteronomy, let's look at it practically. How many battlefields are there in the world all through history that would be defiled by dead people? The Old Testament forbade, forbade people from touching a dead body. You had to be cleansed. You had to, you had to go through a process if you touched a dead body. There's, there's, there's truth associated with that. But let's look at it practically. How many, how many battlefields would be defiled, forever unusable, if that was the point of this, of this law? 
It would be millions of acres. Whole countries would be defiled. It is true. If God says it's cursed, it's cursed. But it's actually more for the illustration of Christ. Looking forward to how Christ died, to how He was actually hanged on a tree. He was suspended between heaven and earth. And that is the actual reason. Uh, he said, however, the curse remains. God says He's cursed. It's cursed. The land is cursed. Now, otherwise Jesus would not have taken this curse. So when Paul tells the Galatians that they won't have to suffer from a curse, he's saying that Jesus willingly stepped into their place and took their curse on Him because He was actually hanged on a tree. I hope I didn't lose you with that, with that uh, reasoning there. God made this rule back in Deuteronomy so that it would be true when Jesus died, so that he could say to the Galatians, to us, that Jesus was hanged on a tree, that he took our curse. That's what he was actually saying. He says they were redeemed. If you've got a strong concordance, you'll find that there's at least 12 different <coughs> words or variations of redeemed. Most of them are very similar. This one is number 1805, and I think it's pronounced exagorazo, meaning to buy up or ransom. Even these pagan Galatians, with their pagan background, would recognize the word for buying a slave's freedom. In Romans, later, Paul wrote the same thing. Paul wrote, pretty much expounded on Galatians when he wrote Romans. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 16. It actually goes into more detail, I think. Yes. He talks about grace and about slaves and about being bought out. We'll look at verses 16 through 18. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become, become slaves of righteousness. This is the truth that Paul was telling the Galatians. Maybe they didn't even know. If they were young Christians, they it would be hard for them to see that they were actually slaves, that they couldn't help it. He said, you were a slave. Your nature led you to sin. You couldn't help it. You were going to sin no matter what. If not for Jesus, you'd still be sinning. Imagine the Galatians. Hearing they were freed slaves. <clears throat> Paul believed they would understand this illustration through the Holy Spirit's leading, having been believers for some time. 
Remember in John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus uh, confronted the Pharisees. Their response was more like the proud man in Habakkuk. They were too proud to admit even the possibility of having been slaves. We see this all through the through this New Testament especially. They, they said, we couldn't have been slaves to anybody. We're sons of Abraham. Let's move on to point four. It's two words. In Christ. In verse 14. Let's look and see what verse 14 says. We see in verse 13 that you were suffering from a curse. You were delivered from that curse. In verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's you. That's me. That's the Galatians. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul is telling the Galatians that no more work needs to be done on their part. Justification, if they trusted Jesus, if they heard the gospel, they were convicted, the Holy Spirit drew their heart, gave them faith, then justification is theirs. In our, in our generation, we call it salvation. Justification, righteousness, made righteous, made right with God. We're all talking about the same thing. Justification is theirs. It's complete. It's bought and paid for by their Redeemer. If the Judaizers, this is going back to chapter 1, if the Judaizers say otherwise, then they don't understand. If they think they are sons of Abraham, apart from faith in Jesus, in Jesus, in Christ, that is enough to prove that, they don't, that, that they're not who they think they are, the Judaizers. True sons of Abraham are those who are in Christ. In Adam... We all fail. In Christ, we're justified. The bloodline of a man, which is what the Judaizers depended on, the true, the true Jews, the bloodline of a man cannot make him righteous. That's what we need. We need to be made righteous. God being perfect and holy, us being sinners, they will not go together. There has to be righteousness from God laid over on us. Even Abraham himself had to have Jesus' righteousness imputed, given to him. He didn't even ask for it. God gave it to him. In Adam, all bloodlines are sinful and defiled. In Christ, true believers are called, redeemed, and regenerated. It's his idea, not ours. It's his plan. No other plan or gospel, remember Paul said, if you follow any other gospel, it's not really a gospel. No other plan or gospel will satisfy the requirement the law of God demands, which is absolute holy perfection forever. Perseverance. You don't have it, I don't have it. It's sad, but it's true. Later, again in Romans, Paul would belabor the same issue in Romans, Romans chapter 3. Let's look at that one right quick. We got time. Romans chapter 3. 
verses 21 through 26. I like this one too. Hard to find a bad line in Romans. Beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It's been brought to light. It's been shown. It's been made plain. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It's exactly what he's doing in Galatians. He's saying it's not new. It's always been this way. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even Abraham, even the Sadducees. And are justified, saved, made righteous by His grace. That means He didn't ask for it. As a gift. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Redemption is just another form of the word redeemed that we saw in Galatians. It's the same He's saying the same thing over and over. And it's really, really good. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Propitiation means He soaked it up. He, he's answered the call of the law. The law was a force that had to be answered. And Jesus was a propitiation. He satisfied that. He soaked it up like a bulletproof vest stops a bullet. By his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his for divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Which is the only righteousness he can accept. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, this is the same subject. It's the same gospel. They're going through this. They have the same solution. It's Jesus. The Romans had to be told that Jesus is the only Savior, that Jesus supplies the only gospel. It's the same thing over and over in the New Testament. Actually, all through the Bible. By trusting in faith on Jesus, the Galatians were already sons of Abraham, members of true Israel. And that is the promise of Abraham. Sonship through Jesus. Repentance, faith, and obedience are the requirements. And they are gifts that we qualify for only because of Jesus. The indwelling spirit which is the last part of that verse there, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The indwelling spirit gives us comfort, assurance, and power to live for him. Otherwise, we wouldn't even try. We would be like a, a boat without a, a rope or a boat without a chain holding anywhere. It would be tossed at the mercy of the sea. So... How do you live? Persevering in faith. The point of Habakkuk. It's God telling Habakkuk. He said, I know people's hearts. I know these people that I'm going to send on you. I know that they're not right. What about you, Habakkuk? Will you persevere in faith? Do you persevere in faith? Or is it sporadic and sketchy? Because you're trying to do it by works.
law nullifies, and I'm talking about works that we do, Old Testament law, laws that we make up, something that we say, oh, I, I think God's going to like this if I do this. L law nullifies faith. It's just like <coughs> that commercial where you see the cleaner poured into the dirty water and it makes it all clear again. That's exactly what it does to faith. And faith fulfills the law. Do you really want to bear your own curse? Stand before God in all His wrath, knowing He has a curse ready to pour out on you? It will cost you more than you ever imagined. Trust Jesus both for salvation and for the next minute and the minute after that. We must persevere. Let's pray.